0: let's do this the cult of hockey podcast by the faithful and for the faithful i'm david staples of the edmonton journal i'm here today with bruce mccurdy welcome back bruce to the land of the happily living you've been uh had a little bit of a little bit of a health scare this week, which is why we haven't been doing the Cult of Hockey podcast. Uh we've had a little took a little break as Bruce has been not feeling very well. So just tell us what happened, Bruce.
1: Yeah, no, I haven't been writing either. Sorry about that. Thanks for uh thanks for filling in a two, three slots for me there, David. Uh I was uh I came under the weather uh midweek and uh Just had a a number of uh, bad days in a row with sort of mild symptoms, uh, you know, a low-grade headache and, uh, you know, sweats in the night and and, uh, body aches and pains and a little bit of tightness in the chest, you know. And I thought, yeah, Uh, just given the general background of things, in some ways, any one of the symptoms was something I've had before. The particular collection was a little different and the Duration is a little different, I'm still uh, not feeling 100% to be frank, but uh, uh, on Friday I went to uh, take a COVID test and uh, I was um, uh, able to book a test at that day, uh, Friday morning and I went in the afternoon to the Edmonton COVID Testing Centre, which is putting through 1,000 tests per hour from 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. Can you imagine? And so my wife and I went in and we both took the test. And uh, um, on Sunday morning around 10 o'clock, I got an automated phone call. Uh, Basically, I think 42 hours from after I took the test, I got the automated phone call. And it gave a lot of preliminary stuff before telling me the news I was waiting to hear, which was that my test came back negative, which, as you can imagine, was an absolutely massive relief. Uh, after several days of being in the dumpster and and uh you know for all the precautions i mean i literally have touched two human beings in the last 6 months my wife and my son i've not darkened the door of any other uh building without a mask on and uh uh you know taking as many precautions as possible you know the 6 the 2 meter rule and everything else and uh yet you know the covid numbers are rising uh in our part of the world lately, and uh, it is an insidious thing that uh, uh, really uh, uh, has a knack for uh, transmission. So uh, I was uh, I was trying not to be scared, but I can't. You know, I was nervous. Can't lie.
0: And it's and, fascinating, Bruce. Like even though you've been taking all these precautions, and you didn't catch COVID, you caught something somewhere, right? Yeah, or, absolutely. So you did catch something, right? Like so. Yeah, I've been wondering if colds and flus are going to really crash, like if there's a, like not that many colds and flus either because of everything everybody's doing. Hey, And I just want to say, Bruce, about the testing, like not mm-hmm. every, you know, I think governments generally have really struggled with this. Um, there's been a lot of unknowns around this. There's no there's no real right answers. And we've seen varying responses like New Zealand, which locks down, you know, like that, you know, first case, first couple of cases, they locked down to Sweden. Which which didn't lock down very much at all, and and I think it, I think if anyone's like I personally, if anyone's honest, we won't know until about a year or two, which approach was actually the right approach and how to you know what is the best practice, and and we we don't know those things, but we do know one thing, I think, that one of the things that governments can do to keep things going and keep people calm and happy is to have lots of testing, and I want to there's a there's a, uh, in the Alberta government, uh, um, let me just get his name right, because uh, there was a guy in the Alberta government um, who was in the purchasing department, Bruce, and he got word in, in December of bad things happening in China. Um, and he was the one who, um, uh, let me just find his name here, uh, purchasing... Who ordered before anyone else in the world was really onto this? At least in North America, he was ordering supplies, including reagent from from all over the world, to stock up in Alberta um, to make sure that that uh, we would have, you know, masks and personal protective equipment and um, the reagent. His name's uh, There's your cat, Jatendra J P Prasad um, from AHS Procurement, and he just did mm-hmm. a fantastic job for us all and. I'm going to suggest you got the benefit of that this week and that you went in and and very quickly, as quickly as anyone in the world right now, you got results back and uh, are able to get on with your life with a little bit more equanimity than previously. So I just think JP Prasad was a real hero of this whole uh, COVID epidemic and uh, deserves deserves it for people to know his name and get that kind of praise.
1: Excellent. Yeah, my wife is still waiting for her results, but I guess that's because she ticked the box. Yes. symptomatic and I took the one that said symptomatic so mine got prioritized and uh, I got quicker results and that's great by the way that was uh, the other thing that changed <laughs> in my life in recent days is uh, we finally uh, we got a new cat oh that that's was nice. that was cat Stevens we adopted that's a number five of, year,
0: you've got a we, number adopted, of cat papers.
1: we adopted a five-year-old kitty from from uh, Uh, a friend of a friend who's leaving the province and uh, couldn't take all their cats with them so we got really well early returns are we got a really nice cat and uh, we lost both our pets at the beginning of covid man oh man the house has been bloody empty without any animals in it uh, especially during this time when you know you don't have normal interaction with the outside world to uh, lose two of our four residents upstairs in uh, short order was pretty brutal. You're, you can probably remember how upset I was at the times that uh, those happened. So uh, Cat Stevens is a uh, new uh, name. Yeah, we can't change that name now, can we? Not when they, Not when she's had it for five years. So,
0: Well, Cat Stevens changed his name, but yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, I- just be- I did mention, Bruce. Could you just make sure you're
0: close to your mic? You're not coming through loud and clear. I'm just a little bit worried that uh, that the audio for listeners is not going to be fantastic. All right, Bruce. We're going to talk about Oilers-related stuff. We're going to talk about um, just the upcoming drafts. You know, you did a post before uh, you got sick on the lack of Oilers draft picks in this draft and in coming drafts. We'll talk about some salary cap news from the Oilers, about Tyler Toffoli envy that I've experienced, maybe you have as well, about the rumor uh, that Brian Lawton talked about of the Oilers trading two of four, the prediction that he made, actually not the rumor, the prediction that he made, which he, he said just uh, was not based on any inside information that the Oilers would trade two of four of their top four to Demon from last year. Talk about the Patrick Russell signing, which happened today. Why don't we start, Bruce, with the, with the latest news in that Patrick Russell, one of your uh, underdog favorites, signed a new one-year deal um, with the Edmonton Oilers this year. And Bruce, I, I did a, just did a post on it, and the more I dug into it, the more I dug into it, like if you had asked me yesterday, what do you think about the Oilers signing Patrick Russell, I said, oh, whatever. But the more I looked at his underlying numbers, especially as we track them um, on uh, his grade A scoring chance numbers uh, and his shots, I, I will get into why I like that. The, the reason I wasn't that excited about it, Bruce, he played 45 games and he scored zero goals. So he's a he's an NHL forward. And you need, you listen, you need NHL forwards to score and to put up points. And he didn't do that. So this is a major failing of an NHL forward. There's no getting around it. But um, in those 45 games, Bruce, according to our video analysis of all scoring chances, he got off 20 grade, a scoring chance shots. So this is 20 shots that he took from the inner slot area. And usually you can expect to score on about 25% of those chances. So in a, if, Russell had had any kind of decent puck luck, and that's what it comes down to, honestly. Any kind of decent puck luck, and Patrick Russell would have had between four and six goals this year. And I think if he had scored four and six goals this year, people would have been had just a slightly more thinking that this was a good idea to re-sign him. So I'm going to go with that. He was also, um, in terms of defensive play, we track Bruce. How many mistakes wingers and all the players make on grade A chances against? How many major mistakes they make? So for wingers, this will be, you know, not getting out to the point to block a shot, uh, letting that shot get in on net, which was one of the things that really killed the Oilers in the playoffs. For wingers, it's uh, not back-checking hard enough. It's uh, not covering your man. It's it's a turnover in your own zone that leads uh, to a great a scoring chance against. Russell, there's three Oilers wingers that had significantly fewer mistakes in that regard than um, other players. And Patrick Russell, Bruce, uh, is one of those three. With Chaseon and and uh, Alex Chaseon. And the best at that was Joachim Nygaard, who was the most solid defensive winger, according to our our numbers. So, for all those reasons, Bruce, Patrick Russell, I'm glad that he's re-signed. What's your take on the player? And we're back. Had a little uh, technical trouble there. That's I know that's probably shocking for people to hear that two technical techno-geniuses would have any kind of technical issues, but uh, that happens now and then, even to the most savvy, technologically inclined individuals, such as Bruce and myself.
1: Well, you know, David, there's there's technophiles. I'm not one. There's technophobes, and I'm not quite one of those. I'm a techno-flub. Uh, <laughs> stuff just seems to happen sometimes. Hopefully the mic sounds a little better now.
0: It's never easy in this world, Bruce. No. All right, Patrick Russell. Are you, Mm -hmm. so I'm, I, his, his underlying numbers are pretty good. Like he, he's kind of middle of the pack for grade A scoring chances plus minus for Oilers wingers and Mm -hmm. really, you know, his offensive output obviously was not great. Even his underlying numbers for offense aren't great, but his defensive numbers are really good. And I think he's going to get more PK time as well. I I suspect Oilers might move out a PK guy, maybe Kara and he may be getting more time in that regard. We'll see. What do you think of him?
1: Well, I, I don't mind the investment. I mean, the, the organization's already invested four years in the guy. Uh, they signed him out of college as a as a, two, a two-year ELC, as already an advanced age prospect coming out of college. And then they signed him to a one-year extension, uh, two-way extension. Then they signed him again to as a UFA last summer uh, to a, one-way deal, but at the minimum. And now that's basically what they've done, NHL minimum. So it's not a matter that they've wasted any of the salary cap. Uh, I mean, you can't spend any less than the minimum. It's just a matter of finding uh, NHL-competent players as depth players. And, you know, I don't even see them as necessarily a top 12 on the team. Uh, But if you're going to carry extra forwards... You want to have guys that can play the game, that have been experienced, that know your team a little bit, that, you know, been around for a while. And I'm actually happy to see the Oilers trying to actually develop some continuity in that department. As you know, I've been banging the drum for years about the constant turnover in the bottom six and the, you know, the the fact that the Oilers don't seem to be able to grow any sort of internal nucleus, that they're always trying to bring in pieces from outside uh, fix a dysfunctional bottom six, and for a guy like Patrick Russell, you know, uh, he's never going to be a star, he's never, certainly, you know, he, he's a, he's a plug and player, he's more plug than play, but um, uh, he's, uh, you know, at this point getting to be a known commodity, and every year that he's been in the organization, he's improved, or he's stepped up a level. You know, either his numbers have gone gone up or he's moved up a league. Last year, he moved up a league into the National Hockey League. And he was on the roster for the entire year. He played about two-thirds of the games uh, on his good nights, which were were many. He won a lot of battles. He pissed off a lot of opponents. You know, he he didn't give up a lot. uh, And, uh, uh, you know, he just ground and battled and unfortunately didn't score. I'm still not happy with that no-goal decision on... December 1st in Vancouver, not that anybody's keeping track, but uh, he's uh, 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 a guy, he wins a lot of puck battles, you know, and he just moves the puck north, he just battles along the boards and he gets, you know, gains a zone in, in the process of, uh, of the puck battle and uh, uh, he's a worker bee. And every team needs some of those. It's not like you're going to have a 50-man list and it's just going to be studded with 20 goal scorers. That's just not how it works. You need some minimum salary guys. You need some some extras, some, uh, uh, some guys in reserve that you can bring down from the press box or up from the minors who can fill in and aren't going to kill you. And I think at minimum he's proven that and I'm not sure he's done improving yet. So uh, I don't I don't mind just signing at all, not at the minimum contract.
0: Yeah, Bruce, I bet against him in the AHL. His first two two years in the HL as a twenty three year old and twenty four year old were not great years. I think he had like eight and no. thirteen goals, and I just thought like I don't I didn't think I saw an NHL player there. So I, I was skeptical of him, even though I liked his hustle at the time and I liked his effort. He was always there. He was always willing to forecheck like a bugger, like get in there and go go go. But uh, you know, I was wrong. Uh, he, in his third year in the AHL, he became one of the best two-way wingers in the a- AHL on a line with Brad Malone and Joe Gambardella. Hell of a line was was a hugely significant in a big year that Bakersfield had, yeah. and um, he really stepped up. And uh, surprisingly to me, so like for me i have that in mind thinking okay i was wrong about him before he didn't have a great start maybe he's one of these players who just takes a year to get his feet wet and he's going to come on and the whole reason one of the big reasons that we do this video analysis of stats is to give us a sense of a player's true talent you know aside from what other numbers might say like what what are what is his real level of play what can we expect from this guy and i think mm-hmm. what those numbers tell us our video work what it tells us is He's a solid defense player and he isn't gonna score a lot. But he's not gonna he's not a zero goal scorer either. He you know, no. if he played sixty games regularly on a fourth line, you might get eight goals and fifteen points out of him and solid defensive play and maybe solid PK work. So that's a useful NHL player. That's what our that's what the numbers are telling me, and I have a little faith in them. I mean, we put a lot of work into this for a reason, and nope. um and so I, I'm gonna go with that.
1: Yeah, it was unbelievable to me that he got a he got a goose egg on the season. I mean, wasn't quite Toby Reader because he didn't play quite as many games and have quite as many shots. But man, was he ever snake bit! Like he had a lot of chances from right in close to the blue paint, and he just could not yeah. get that final inch, you know, the puck over the damn goal line, and in the net unless it hit some other oiler on the way in. And you know, I I find he's an easy player to like, and and. Uh, He's got an interesting background, mixed background. But like I say, you look at the the numbers you posted on your post today out of uh, HockeyDB shows him getting better, better, better in St. Cloud State, better, better, better in Bakersfield, and in Edmonton. You know, I mean, it took him all this time to establish himself at age uh, now 27 as an NHL player, and even still, you know, an NHL uh, you know depth player. So he's. uh, I, it's 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 worthwhile signing. You might you might as well um, um, you stick. I I think it's a case, and I've been saying all along this summer. I think you're going to see a lot of guys, um, low end unrestricted free agents, just stick with their own team on one year extensions at sort of flat salaries, and that's what's happened here.
0: Let's let's move on to another winger, Bruce. Mm-hmm. Uh, not on the Oilers. I've been I was watching. I haven't really watched a lot of the NHL. Like I have only watched the highlights a few times. But one highlight package I did watch. I'm still. I've been asked about the Oilers being knocked out. Honestly, and I'm not that interested yet in the playoffs. I, I think I will. And I was been hoping for Vancouver mainly because uh, my brother's uh, partner is a big Canucks fan, and and uh, you know he he roots for the. He roots for the Canucks, uh, and just to think of him enjoying the Canucks winning has made me think. Oh, I'd like to see you know uh, Steve happy and see the Canucks uh, do well and in the playoffs. So I um, I've been rooting for him, and Tyler DeFoley has stuck out like a mm-hmm. like a stake through the middle of my heart <laughs> because he's exactly what the Oilers needed in a deadline day pickup to help them in the player playoffs. He's a, he's an ex he's an up and down, uh, like a up and down the ice two two way winger uh, with some real, he doesn't need the puck. He's got a good shot. One time shooter, good passer. He, he plays off other players. Well, he's exactly the kind of player who would do well with Connor McDavid. I believe, you know, somebody who doesn't need the puck, but goes to the net and when he gets there, knows what to do with it. And he's done well in the playoffs for the Canucks and Bruce it just i just it just hit me over the head how Athanasiu just no i think he was misused athanasio he was never used as mcdavid and maybe he would have done well but i just thought man if we had if we had traded for tafoli instead of Athanasiu, what a difference that might have made and he, then i looked at you know um you know I, off the top of my head i thought what did they give up i know they gave up two second picks for athanasio and then i looked and they only gave up one second pick for Toffoli. So my initial thing was, oh man, like the Ken Holland screw up here. But when I dug into it a little deeper, the Canucks also gave up a player called Tyler Madden, a young guy called Tyler Madden. I think he's 21 now. And he was a third round pick a couple years ago, but since he was a third round pick, he has had two outstanding scoring seasons in college hockey. And, And, um, he, I, I think if, if there was a redraft of that year, he'd probably be a hot, he'd be a, maybe a late first or a high second round pick. So I can see suddenly what L.A. got for Toffoli uh, was extremely valuable and probably more than the Oilers gave up for Athanasiou, I'm going to say. Probably more. Because they're getting a more of a sure thing if you if you get a young player and let's face it they've got Dowdy and Kopitar they want to they want to kind of win now a little bit too the Kings you know they want to speed things up a little bit we've heard that idea before so they got a good deal out of that uh, from uh, the Vancouver Canucks in trading uh, Tyler Toffoli so that kind of tempered my uh, general unhappiness around uh, Tyler. Tafoli being a Vancouver Canucks or the yeah.
1: yeah, Vancouver threw in. I mean, it was one second-round pick. It was a um, little uh, guy. We we're just talking about 150-pound guy in college, uh, Tim Schaller, who uh, quietly, very quietly, has played 276 National Hockey League games in his career uh, as a as a defensive center. And a conditional fourth round pick in the future, which I don't know what the condition is. And for if, that, if
0: Toffoli signs in Vancouver,
1: ah, okay, that yeah, that makes sense. Anyway, if if uh, that's the kind of trade they just, I think they just did away with in the uh, new CBA, uh, because they see that as a deterrent now for Vancouver to sign Toffoli because it'll cost them a draft choice if they do, and that's kind of not fair to the player. I think was the interpretation. Anyway, uh, they got an unrestricted free agent as a rental, uh, carrying a cap hit of $4.6 million, whereas in the case of Athanasiu, the Oilers got a guy who was an expiring RFA, uh, where the club's got a couple of years of control on the guy, at a lower cap hit of $3 million, and he, like Tafoli is a former one-time 30-goal scorer. So, you know, you can make arguments on behalf of Athanasiu. what you can't say is that we ever in Edmonton once saw him fire the kind of shot that uh, Toffoli put away last night when he was set up beautifully in the low slot by Quinn Hughes and bang, off his stick, into the top of the net. Just no questions asked. It's just a, the a one-shot score that Edmonton absolutely craves. And the only guys that we saw putting away shots like that this year were, well, I think, Driesiedel. Leon Dreisaitl. <laughs> and the list stops... Fairly shortly thereafter, you know, guys that can, yeah. you know, not even need the puck on their stick to bury it, and uh, that's what Toffoli did there. And uh, my eyes popped on that uh, on that shot, and I know we've seen him do it before with the Kings, uh, all the years that they toyed with the Oilers. So uh, it's funny he and his line mate uh, Tanner Pearson they used to be on that '70s line in L.A. with uh, oh, Jeff right. Carter, and now they're both on the line with the. Uh, Uh, very highly watchable Elias uh, Peterson, who's just a a tremendous talent in Vancouver. That's actually, you know, for all that, I have a lifelong kind of antipathy for the Canucks. uh, This team that they have right now is kind of fun to watch.
0: They really are. That's another reason I was kind of been hoping (laughs) for them. And I think it's high time, a Canadian team. High time, a Canadian team. uh, did well in the playoffs as well. So, yeah, I, I... I'm not going to give Ken Holland too many negative marks. I, I will give tip again, I'll just bring this up one more time a negative mark. I, I think that when um, Ennis got hurt, he needed to put a fantasy with McDavid. McDavid does doesn't um, he doesn't need to play with Nugent Hopkins to succeed. Connor McDavid's a real soloist. He dominates the puck and he needs players to go up and down their wing and go hard to the net. And I think a fantasy who can do that. And, I, and again, uh, this coming year, if, if a fantasy who comes back, I'd like to see him and knee on the world's fastest hockey line with Connor McDavid. And I think that might work. Although what I'm hoping for most, Alan Mitchell uh, recently wrote a post at the athletic looking at free agents who might sign and on top of the list with was Hoffman from Florida. Oh, and really shirt. that's, that's the, that's the ideal kind of winger. I think McDavid needs to play with this guy. Connor's going to, he doesn't need to play necessarily with give-and-go players like Yamamoto and Nuge. Mm-hmm. He's his own give-and-go. You know? <laughs> he put off the boards to himself. Off the
1: boards he to goes. himself. He, go
0: he's Connor McDavid, he, he, is a, he is a difficult player to play with. He's a soloist. But certain players will thrive with him. And And I think a like a Ryan Smith kind of winger who can go hard to the net. Or a, a shooter like Hoffman. Those are the kind of wingers I'm thinking will be in the wheelhouse for McDavid. Like, not Hamsky. He doesn't need to play with a Hamsky kind of guy. But the, that Ryan Smith kind of guy, that might work really well. So that's who, you know, like a Brendan Gallagher type maybe. So that's who I'd like to see. And, but a Athanasio, I think, is kind of a, that kind of up straight up, you know, sticks to his wing. He didn't forecheck very well. He's got to pick it up. He's got to be far more aggressive on the forecheck if he lets bring him back. But I would, let, I think the tip missed a chance in the playoffs to to put those guys together. Bruce well, or like the to other quickly. argument
1: was what? the uh, the uh, Oilers. I think one guy that you can say is a one shot scorer, James Neal, that yeah. never that never got a push on anywhere in the top six, even uh, uh, as he played well and other players struggled in the uh, uh, in the playoffs, and uh, that that kind of sticks in my craw a little bit. But,
0: yeah. Salary cap, Bruce. There was some news. Uh, Daniel Nugent Bowman of the Athletic interviewed Ken Holland and um, asked him if the Oilers would be a cap team, which means spending to the is it 81.5 million dollar 81.5 million dollar hard cap, which Brian Burke now says will probably last five or six years wow. into the future. It's hard to read, the, hard to tell the future honestly. Who knows what the future is going to be like right now? Burke may be right or he may be wrong, uh, but um, The Oilers, Bruce, and and this being a cap team resonates, I think, a little differently with older fans than it does with younger fans, because for about 20 years there, the Oilers consistently lost 15 to 20 years, their best player almost every year, because they didn't have the money to compete with the big boys in the NHL for players. And they lost Paul Coffey, Wayne Gretzky, Gary Curry, Mark Messi, almost everyone who counts off those great teams they lost because of financial reasons. And it continued under the Edmonton Investors Group to players like Doug Waite, Bill Guerin, Curtis Joseph, Anson Carter, all kinds of players that they could not hold on to. And it it continued right up really to Ryan Smith, I think, when it was a financial decision as well. Um, You know, the EIG had it in their head that they could compete – at 10% under the cap. That was their idea, you know. And it wasn't a bad idea. We see te- NHL teams do that with smart management. You don't have to be at the cap to win. And that's what EIG's philosophy. So it's not necessarily a terrible philosophy, but you got to be mighty smart and um, successful in your decisions. The Oilers didn't prove to be that. But Cates has come in, and he's spent to the cap er- every- almost every year where they needed to. He's certainly open to it. and he's- Plus, he's spent tens of millions extra on contract, burying contracts and eating salary and this, that, and the other thing. And so I was really relieved, Bruce, honestly, this has been a a fear of mine that Cates took Mm -hmm. a huge financial hit during COVID and wouldn't be able to spend to the cap. And I think that's going to be the case for some NHL owners and the other NHL owners are going to feast on those teams. They're going to feast on those teams that have to dump useful players because they can't pay them. And I'm glad that the Oilers aren't in that book.
1: Yeah, well, Holland said, that, you know, the Oilers have been always been a cap team, uh, meaning under Cates. and yeah. he uh, uh, and he also said, you know, basically we're committed to be a cap team just by the basis of the contracts we already have. But it doesn't sound like there's going to be a massive sell-off uh, just because of um, uh, cap considerations. Uh, what it, you know, what he didn't say was, I mean. We talked about Kate's eating extra money. Uh, we detailed in a previous podcast how uh, the Luchich trade cost Kate's $9 million, even though it didn't, you know, uh, basically over and above what showed up on the salary cap. But in terms of, of cutting checks to players, uh, that deal turned a $42 million mistake into a $51 million, uh, uh, still a mistake. Uh, And you wrote a post just this week about uh, other such trades in the past, notably uh, one uh, Lubo Wisnowski for Ryan Whitney, where Wisnowski's contract had been front-loaded by almost $3 million at the time of the trade, and uh, 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 the one of uh, Whitney was back-loaded by another $3 million, so that cost Cates over $5 million of salary versus Uh, salary cap to make that exchange. And he's absorbed a few blows like that, which is, uh, I mean, you can put your spin on it if you want. It's either uh, an owner that's willing to spend whatever it takes, or it's maybe not the smartest money management, if you want to look at it from a business perspective. Most fans look at it from a competitive perspective, and at least the owner is willing to spend. Now, unfortunately, the uh, smart business decisions, the owners have a long uh, history throughout the cap era of not really making those, and that uh, uh, that decision or uh, that history continues right up to at least the beginning of the current management era. And of course, we're still really taking stock of the kind of decisions Ken Hollands made. I'm not ready to render a verdict uh, on uh, on that, but um, they've. Uh, you know, they they've got to start getting value, and unfortunately, this flat cap for five years business—that's a bit of a killer. In that, the Oilers have two contracts, long-term contracts that were just going to gain value as the cap continued to escalate, as predicted uh, Sans COVID. Uh, you know, the cap would have gone up to eighty-five million dollars next year, and maybe ninety million the year after that, and each each bump in that cap. Would have made those McDavid and Drysidle contracts that much more of a bargain, and instead now they're basically locked in against that flat cap, and they're, you know, so the big advantage of signing those guys to eight-year deals, a lot of that is dissipated with the uh, the collapse of the, uh, well, not the collapse, but the you know the stratification of the salary cap at a given level.
0: You should write a post about that, Bruce. That's a good mm-hmm. thought. That's, I, And I haven't heard anyone talk about an that. actually an unhappy thought. <laughs> depressingly, yeah, it's depressingly true is what it is. Yeah, mm-hmm. you're right. I just felt suddenly sinking feeling. You know, the great happiness I had felt with the Patrick Russell signing is completely dissipated now Sorry. because of that thought. It's okay. <laughs> I'll survive. Okay, Bruce. Oh. Brian Lawton has been spreading... He made a very interesting prediction. He predicted on Oilers now that the Oilers would trade two of four top four D men, and and what he's talking about, what the discussion really is about, because they're not moving Ethan Bear obviously. He's talking about moving two out of two out of three of Oscar Clefbaum, Adam Larson, and Darnell Nurse. And from what Lawton has said, because he brought this up a week earlier as well, maybe even two weeks earlier, but from what Lawton has said, he's he brought up Clevibom in the first the first time he talked about trading an Oilers defenseman. He talked about the hard decision that Clef, that uh, Ken Holland was going to have to make in about Oscar Clevibom and about where this defenseman's trending, his injuries in the past, um, this that and the other thing about bomb, Which it, the first time he said it, it was like, "Oh, that's interesting." When he then came the next week with the prediction. They're going to trade two out of three. And as Jan Kleffbaum's name, you know, he's obviously coming up as one of those guys. Bruce, um, La- I don't know what Lawton's contacts are within the Orders organization, but I do know that he is a total NHL insider, completely mm-hmm. hooked into the. He's one of the 200 hockey men, as Mark Spector put it. And mm-hmm. who who and as Al Strachan has put it in the past, a small village of people who are the NHL insiders. And Strachan, I think, had it at about 500 people. But I think that's a real thing in terms of being the NHL insiders. Now, they don't have all the... They're not always right, the NHL insiders, right? But they, they do exist and they have inside information. Lawton's one of them. This, I'm saying, Bruce, there's a whole freaking lot of smoke here about the Oilers trading a top four demon and Oscar Kleffbaum's name's coming up. And this is going to be really discouraging news for the... Large faction of Oilers fans who are uh, hardcore Oscar Cleveldom fans. I I am an Oscar Cleveldom fan, but I'm not in that camp of people who who really think this player is a special player. I think they think he's really really successful NHL player. I think he's a good NHL player who has some limitations in terms of of defensive play now and then, and also now and then with his puck moving, he's not not as puck moving in his defensive zone. I think he does a good job there. In the offensive end, I don't think Oscar Clefbaum's is a very strong offensive player in, at even strength, Bruce. I don't see it. He's not great at walking the line and getting pucks on net. He's not great at, at, at uh, working himself into the play. He's not a really creative passer either in the offensive end. So while he's, a very extremely, he's become an extremely efficient power play guy at that, at even strength, there's something lacking there that um, we're not going to see. What we see from Oscar Klefbaum now, I believe, is what, what he's going to be as an NHL player. So I'm not, it's not at the top of my list. The top of my list is trade Chris Russell. That's the alpha move for Ken Holland this summer. Trade Chris Russell. If you can do that, Ken Holland, you've had a very successful offseason.
1: Mm-hmm. That
0: said, if it's moving Larson, um, moving Clefbaum, moving one of those two, I don't think Nurse is going to get moved if it's moving Kleffbaum or Larsen, if that happens and they get the right player back in return, I'm not going to be screaming my head that this was a terrible thing.
1: Well, some put um, clef bomb versus Nurse as if it's one or the other and they like one and don't like the other. Uh, or And there's a lot of people that would let Darnell go for, you know, they just seem to oh, think yeah. he's very overrated or that he's, uh, yes. uh, you know, he, he has his, his limitations and they always seem to worry about his next contract or the one after that, as opposed to, you know, he's been a big bargain for the last three years in my, in my estimation. But I mean, now they're starting to pay the piper next year and, uh, you know, he's, he's going to be full ticket and maybe then some from, from now on. But, uh, you know he's um, uh, he's got obviously his own limitations uh, in the offensive zone, but you know what? Uh, he sure seems to find a way to get points and and contribute to the offense, and it's by uh, what I would consider non-traditional means. I think what he's what he's good at, Darnell, is creating chaos uh, in the offensive zone, and you know he yeah, just jumps the into the play and causes you know. Uh, it just causes overman situations and stuff, and it doesn't necessarily result in beautiful three-way passing plays with crisp finishes, but it, it, it just it results in, in uh, uh, good trouble, as, uh, as uh, the late John Lewis used to call it, where uh, they, uh, they cause uh, extra grief for the other team, and, and uh, the artists can take advantage of that. And you look at his, at his scoring stats, like he dwarves all the other Oiler defensemen. Last three years, 85 even strength points. and uh, Clefbaum is next to 47. I mean, that's a chasm. And sure, that's, uh, you know, that's in Darnell playing every single game over the last three years versus Clefbaum missing 40 games over that span. But guess what? That's advantage nurse. He's, he stays healthy. He's, uh, you know, he's uh, he's, a guy that can be, uh, it seems like counted on to be in the lineup night after night. And unfortunately, we cannot say that about Oscar Kleffbaum, who seems to get dinged up one way or another every year. And the team misses Kleffbaum when he's out, so that's one way to measure it. Um, and the other th- my other observation about Kleffbaum, I enjoy watching him, I've enjoyed him as an Oiler. But there are times, I wonder, where he's just not a little less than the sum of his parts. Like, he looks like he should be all-world, and yet somehow there's still waiting for him to put it all together and keep it together without having these, uh, as you call them, defensive slumps uh, over the course of of a season. And so, I mean, hopefully there is still a next step that he's going to take, but it's time he took it. uh, He just turned... um, uh, what is it, 27 years old now? Like he really should be in his in his prime and and uh, uh, at, you know at the at the top of his form by now.
0: Both players were so profoundly disappointing. If you wanted to make a in the playoffs, if you wanted to make an argument that you should move either of them mm-hmm. or both, um, yeah. <laughs> pl- their, their playoffs this year. Nurse was like, I usually. Like, I usually don't see Nurse the way that his biggest critics see him. But in the playoffs, as I said at the time, I suddenly saw it. He was running around all over the place. His defensive reads were awful, Bruce. They were awful. He'd so often abandon the front of the net and left and left players open there. He just was not on his game at all. And Clefbaum was similar. Uh, he was just in, in a different way because he kind of just – he starts to fade into the woodwork and – not not, not, kind of boss the game. Like, you know, Nurse is always bossing the game, for good or for ill.
1: Almost always.
0: Um, you know, but Clef Bomb just starts to fade, and then he starts to make mistakes and throw away the puck when he shouldn't be throwing away the puck. There's a couple really bad turnovers, and he's not really prone to that. So I, I'm, I'm inclined to throw out the playoffs, although when they're mentioned, I suddenly have this sinking feeling with both of those mm-hmm. players. It really was disappointing. I think the yeah, good news is, Bruce, they Caleb Caleb Jones, they have a player, I believe, I might this might be a little bit of a push, and some people say this is a push. I believe is probably ready, gonna be ready for top four duty in the NHL this coming year. And I know people don't like to hear that. They think, oh, this is gonna, you're rushing him and blah, blah, blah. Listen, like he's 23. When do you think players become top? How does that happen? You know, he, he's been two years now, a bot a bottom half the year in the HL, half the year in the NHL, and he did really well in the bottom six this year in the NHL. He did really well in the bottom six in the NHL's first year, but got eaten alive when he got moved to the top pairing as a rookie. Well, we're a whole it's a whole year after that. This guy is a really good hockey player, Caleb Jones, good on offense, good on defense. And I think he's ready to step up, just like Ethan Bear. When he got that chance, he did just fine in the top four. And Caleb Jones, I think, is ready. And I think you have to... In, in when you're building your team, you want patience and continuity, but you also have to make changes. And when a player is ready to step up, you've got to recognize that, especially in this cap era, make space for him, give him the opportunity. You've got to make that kind of bet. And the owners do have some needs. They've got to need it forward and they've got a need in goal. And they're going to have to free up some cap space to uh, meet that need. Now, moving out or nurse frees up some amount of cap space. Clefbaum, I think, I think Clevibom's at peak value right now, honestly, except for the playoffs. But I think people will not will throw that out. I think Cleftbaum will have people who admire him in other NHL cities as much as some Oiler fans admire Cleftbaum right now. So I'm saying 27 year old D-man with a really good contract, who is a, who can play in your top four for sure, is and is a decent player there. Um, they're gonna they're gonna want that player in another city. Uh, so I can see trade value there. Nurse, I think obviously has trade value, um, just because of all that he brings—his scoring and his toughness. So, but I don't see Ken Holland trading Darnell Nurse. That I just do not. He's part of the leadership group. I think he offers a physicality that it, that the Oilers will need, and, and and speed. He's a very fast skater. I don't see him being moved, but I, I could see Clef Bomb. And we're not—we've talked about Larson in the past. If they sign Tice and Barry, if they can sign a right shot. D man, who can play in the top four. I think they could also move Larson. But um, if I had to make a prediction, I'm putting a lot of weight in what Brian Lawton had to say, and I'm guessing Bruce. And I, and again, it's, this wouldn't be of my first pick, and it wasn't my expectation, but I'm guessing Clefbaum might be on the move. Will be on the move um, this summer, if especially if they can't move Chris Russell.
1: Yeah, well, Caleb Jones, he showed some real progress. In 2019, 20, and uh, he not only when he got in the lineup, but especially in the time when Klefbom was hurt, and he spent some time then in the in the top four. And you know what? If if you look at uh, I, lo- I like to cite uh, PuckIQ.com, uh, dot uh, and they look at um, uh, performance two tiers of competition, and Caleb Jones. Uh, played about 24% of his time against elite competition. So he spent a lot of time in the third pairing sheltered, but when he got up in the lineup uh, and played against the elite competition, uh, the Oilers had more shot attempts for and fewer shot attempts against uh, with him on the ice uh, than any other defenseman uh, save Mike Green, who played so little that his stats are almost meaningless in Very that meaningless. category. And uh, uh, he held his own, and, you know, he, he, at least you got to consider him, as you've already said, as at least a, a possible future top four, whether he's ready to make that step this year. I mean, he's kind of sitting where Matt Benning was maybe two years ago, and Matt Benning struggled to make that step, and there's no guarantee that he will, but uh, uh, that's a player with a lot of potential and and gaining experience. You know, now he's had two nice cracks at the NHL. Uh, he's had some pro uh, uh, experience in the AHL level, three years. Uh, he's just turned 23 years old, and we don't know what the upside is, but we know that uh, uh, he's a player with some uh, uh, with an interesting skill set. So uh, he's a guy, certainly the figure's in the long-term uh, uh, plan. And the other thing he's got going for him is a fantastic contract, two years, $850,000 yeah. at Holland uh signed him to just before he reestablished himself in the NHL this past year. So having him at two years at that figure uh, has thrust him into uh, consideration for being protected in the upcoming expansion draft. Like that's uh, uh, that's his status at the moment is that he's right on the cusp of that. Uh, uh, the Oilers need to figure out a way to protect this guy uh, on the, in, in that uh, small group.
0: You know, Ethan Bear last summer, he had taken a huge step in the last half of the year, which kind of went under the radar with me and with many people, but he really had, and Bear was ready. Um, again, you gotta sometimes you gotta open the door. And the difference between Caleb Jones, I think, and Matt Benning, in terms of the top four, Matt Benning is a very smart hockey player. Uh, I'll give him that. But his skating is not there to play as a top four NHL Demon. I think it's clear by now. It's clear to me at least. Jones's is. He, he may be the best skating defenseman on the Oilers right now in terms of if you, if you put together all the skating skills. Nurse is probably faster in a straight line uh, or in, in a burst in terms of mm-hmm. rushing the puck up the ice. We haven't seen Caleb Jones really take off with the puck up the ice. It's not really his game. But um, he can really skate. He's very agile. Um, he's, he's such a good skater, in fact, that he's able to play the right side um, and not really look at a place like Chris Russell looks at a place when he plays the right side now so and he's such an adept puck mover that he's able to do that so we'll see what happens it's just again when Brian Lawton starts talking like that it just uh, you know I've seen this I've seen this movie before Bruce mm-hmm. and um, so we'll see what happens there I'm just gonna have to run and get my battery uh, to plug in this thing my my computer's gonna die here but I want you to I'm gonna ask you to start talking about it, and I'll miss but I, I read your post so I know what you're gonna say Uh, about the Oilers draft pick situation coming into this year. Where are the Oilers in terms of draft picks in terms of the cupboard being full or empty, Bruce, for the coming entry draft?
1: Yeah, the Oilers are uh, uh, down a couple of courts in uh, both the 2020 and 21 draft. Uh, uh, Ken Holland in his bid to uh, uh, stock the team at the trade deadline uh, gave up a number of future assets, uh, among them uh, 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 two second round draft choices in 20 and 21 for uh, Andreas Athanasiou. They also gave up a uh, uh, a fourth round pick in the uh, deal for Mike Green, who played exactly two games for the Oilers, got hurt, uh, opted out and retired. That didn't end so well. And they gave up a fifth-round pick in 2021 for uh, uh, Tyler Ennis. And in addition, they got a, a, a unfortunate, uh, yet another uh, unfortunate ruling from the National Hockey League in the James Neal trade, where Neal did not uh, meet the threshold of uh, uh, 21 goals. that should have triggered the condition to his draft choice, but the NHL, in their wisdom, said... Yep, uh, we're going to credit him with those goals. Uh, Calgary gets the pick, but they get it in 2020 or twenty one. So bottom line, the Oilers are without five uh, draft choices. They've traded away five draft choices in uh, the next two drafts, and they've recovered only one sixth-round pick in 2021 uh, for John Marino. So that's actually the lowest of any of the move draft choices. Is that sixth rounder and John Marino was probably by far the biggest asset of any of the guys involved in those trades. But uh, such is life in oil countries. So the Oilers, for all that they they're uh, at least now they're established as a, you know in the in the uh, uh, in, in the mix. But they're. Uh, it's not like they're a top contender trading away for that last little piece that puts them over the top. They're not Tampa Bay trading away a first-round pick for Barclay Goodrow, but they, uh, you know, they're going to enter the entry draft, uh, the next two entry drafts, as we stand right now, with only ten of their fourteen draft picks, and they've given up uh, several picks in the rounds two, three, and four in the process, and it's uh, it's not an enviable position, really. Now it's my turn, David. I got to let this cat out the door. She's starting to uh, get a little perturbed.
0: One yeah, yeah. <laughs> you talk. The interesting, uh, the okay, interesting yeah. news yeah. Bruce from uh, this draft. There's been some rumors. I keep hearing the name uh, Caden Gooley coming up. I think that's how you pronounce his name. Maybe Gool or Gull or Caden Goule. Anyway, he's a defenseman who played in the Western Hockey League. And there's 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 talk. With, with the 14th pick, or maybe by trading down in the draft, there's talk that the Oilers may draft this Caden Gooley or Gool. Do you not pronounce Caden Goolie?
1: Gooley. Gooley.
0: Gooley. Anyway, no, I, I'm not thrilled gooleys. with that. Bruce. I'm not thrilled with that. And this is coming from, it's just weird that I'm not thrilled with it because I don't actually know anything about any of these players who are going to be drafted. But I, I so I, 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 well,
1: we know I, he's I, a defense. I'll
0: say that he's a defenseman and it just seems like why are you drafting another defenseman yeah, like i know well, you dropped the drafts. best player available but uh, he, his King ghoul's Ghoulies, offensive numbers in, in major Junior bruce they're not that great and i'm not totally you, you just can't go on that but he i think he got like 40 points in 60 games or something like that and that's not great i, I i'm a little skeptical of it but i don't know i know nothing about it so i'll just shut up I hope they uh, get the best, you know, I was hoping they were going to draft one of these great forwards who sound like they're going to be available. And they seem to be making all this noise. You know, there's rumors, you know, we keep hearing King Gooley's name. We've heard it from Stauffer. Now we heard Kurt Levins talk about it. And these are people who have contacts and sources. And I think I, uh, you know, I think I heard about it from another guy with, with you know, who, who's who got some inside knowledge now and then. So it sounds like they, they're really excited about this player. But maybe they're right. Maybe he's going to be, Maybe he's not going to be the next. What was his name? Jason Soules. Maybe he's not going to be the next. Uh, <laughs> sorry, Bruce, for saying that. Maybe the, not the next Colton. Salmar Odalin. Salmar Odalin. Maybe he's a player. And, and I should be. So I'm not going to say anything about it. Maybe that is exactly the right thing they're saying. Draft best player available. Because if he turns out, they can always. If they, if they have too many defensemen at that point, they can always trade a guy which is completely reasonable, right? If you have good young defensemen, you can always find a use for them. And maybe the answer at forward, maybe what they're thinking is they're going to trade a defenseman right away for a forward, Bruce. Do you think that's going to happen?
1: Well, I certainly think it could happen. I mean, the the organizational depth uh, is, uh, is on the blue line. The prospect depth is definitely on the blue line. And uh, uh, they've, you know, they've undertaken a few half measures to address the uh, forward issue. Uh, nothing really seems to have been a solution. Uh, so next time they make a trade for a forward, they better get a good forward. <laughs> that's going to that's help in, the, in the, at least the medium term. But uh, uh, Weren't Bob and Curtin and people like that the same people that were touting Philip Broberg as the possible Oilers pick about this time? Well, this stage last year?
0: Exactly, Bruce. Like, the spider senses start to tingle, right? And it's for a reason. It seems like because we've seen this movie before. They know. They've heard. And um, generally, they get a lot of stuff right. So I'm going to say, yeah, that's really interesting, and I put a lot of weight in that, and maybe that, and maybe that's the right pick. And maybe Caden Gooley is going to be, like, maybe that's, like, the really smart pick. Although, he, here's what I would say, Bruce. Let me just look this up, because I, I should speak, because uh, I've actually done the work on this. Mm. If they trade for him, if they draft him, 14th overall is a reach. Now, maybe they don't think it's a reach. Oh. Maybe they have him in their top 10, and they think, oh, this is a bargain getting uh, this player... Um, at this At this level But um, The fact of the matter is Let me just look it up here again Caden gooly There's all these forwards If you go by the consensus of Draft experts And I looked at 20 of them and I kind of ranked them Where they have all the players You know the Oilers should be able to get a player Like um, Dawson Mercer Jack Quinn, uh, Seth Jarvis, um, Connor Zeri. There's a lot of really...
1: Maverick Bork. Yeah, there's Maverick
0: others. Pork. Players who had outstanding offensive numbers in junior, major junior. So if you go by the numbers and then by the rating systems, there's all these great young forwards. Now, Caden Gooley ranks 20th. So taking them 14th isn't that much of a reach. Like, it's not. Mm -hmm. Uh, but it is a bit of a reach and strikes me, you could trade down. Like if, if, if the orders are going to go that route, they should investigate trading down three or four or five picks at the moment and seeing if he's still there, unless they're absolutely convinced he's in the top 10 players in this draft or top five players in this draft. And they may be that's that, that may be their thinking. Um, Mm -hmm. He's a bit of a reach at fourteen, so that's that's my only real hesitancy, and maybe that's not even doesn't have much merit, but I'll throw that out there.
1: Oh, and what I'll throw out there is the very last thing Ken Holland uh, said in the interview with uh, Daniel Nugent Bowman of the Athletic, and uh, this was in answer to a question that wasn't actually asked. He just kind of threw it out there, and I'll just quote what Holland said: "Would I be open to trading back from the fourteenth pick?" I guess he did ask the question himself. Yeah, I don't see us leaving the first round. We feel good about pick 14. We think we're going to get a really good young player there. We're certainly going to get a young player. Uh, but if someone wants to move up, I've traded back before and it's worked out. It depends what's offered or if anything's offered. So, I mean, because of these holes that they have in the second, uh, second round and so forth, uh, the orders are down enough picks that maybe that fourteen gets you know gets you twenty one and, and fifty one or something, right? And and they'll go they'll go for a two for one and maybe Gooley or any one of the other guys we've named uh seeps through to number twenty one, they get a good player there and they get a pick in the second round. So I mean this thing could go a number of ways.
0: Well what if what if the thinking was like this? What if they've looked at the Fords and they think, you know, there's about Ten forwards, who who are going to go between ten and thirty, in the draft between tenth pick and thirtieth pick. They're the second rung of forwards, but there's about ten of them that we really like, and we think actually they're all really similar. Like there's really good things that you know they could go they could go any way. And I know maybe scouts don't think this way. Maybe they're like that we've got to take take John Jason Paturka it's John Jason Paterka or Bust, you know, he's a German forward who's available in this draft, you know, but I think maybe, maybe there's a more nuanced position where there's not a whole heck of a lot of difference between John Jason Paterka and Seth Jarvis. And so what we can do is we really want Caden Gooley. We think he can, he's probably going to be there though around, if we drop down five or six spots, he's still going to be there. So we'll take that chance. And if he isn't there, If that doesn't... There's all of these forwards who we think are about the same. One of those guys is going to be there. We'll just take the next one on our list. Would that make sense?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. If Katslaff isn't going to be there after we trade down, well, we can still pick Mark Pouliot.
0: Exactly, Bruce. Exactly. (laughs) So let's nail it again, like we did then, (laughs) in this draft. Like that kind of thinking. You can take that to the bank, obviously. So... There you have it. Jan Misak, Hendrix Lapierre, yeah, Jacob Perot, John Jason Pachurka, Tyson Foss, Forster, there's Nolan Gundler, Rodion Amarov, Dylan Holloway, Seth Jarvis, Connor Zerry, Dawson Mercer. There is this group of forwards that on various lists will be ranked between 10 and 30. So we'll see maybe. And again, you know, obviously that can can backfire. Or you can hold your pick and just use it on Yessi Ninamaki. Nin- Nin- in any case, right?
1: Like you can 14,
0: yeah. Just draft in your position and take Yessi Ninamaki, or you can take Alice Hamsky at that at that round. Like you just don't like you know. There's always this uncertainty in the draft. So, but I think as a I think yeah. as a philosophy, like if they really do believe Caden Gooley is a top ten guy, I think then you hold your fourteenth pick and you take him there, right? Because you. According to you, you have to trust that, I guess, and you go with you that.
1: better but. be right, especially when you've yeah. already got hey. Bouchard and Broberg in the pipeline. Not hey, to hey. mention Samorkov, you know, and, and a couple other pretty decent uh, D prospects. Like, the thing is balancing the prospect pool is, I guess there's different ways to do it, but uh, drafting another left-shot defenseman doesn't seem to be that necessarily the I mean, people were asking this exact question last year when they did draft Philip Broberg. If they did it again, I can just imagine the hue and cry.
0: He seems like the same player as Philip Broberg, honestly. Like, he, he like a guy whose offensive numbers aren't jumping off the page at you, but has really good tools. Mm-hmm. Gouli and Broberg, like big guys, fast guys, not putting up the numbers. I mean. So, yeah, I do have some just just my initial kind of biases aren't making me loving that suggestion, but I could be co- I, completely wrong. And, and all the people who doubted the Philip Broberg pick could be completely wrong. And I, and I know there's still a lot of controversy around the player, but everything <laughs> I've seen of the player, man, he really is. He, he, the Oilers defense, like they do need to get faster. They do need more speed. And this guy, he's got mm-hmm. as good a wheels for a big man, and you will see. I mean, I think he's a better skater than Nurse, who's really fast, and he's more agile. So um, maybe that pick going to work out.
1: Yeah, well, watching Vegas and Vancouver last night, and watching Quinn Hughes for Vancouver and Shea Theodore for oh, uh, the Golden Theodore. Knights, and thinking, who are the Oilers got that's uh, that's on the same anywhere near the level of these guys? And you got to find one. You got to get one somehow. And, you know, they seem to be uh, popping up. I mean, the other game we saw uh, Kale McCarr and Miro Haskinen playing, for goodness sake, uh, against one another in the, uh. in the game earlier yesterday. And, and you know, like you see, you know, there we are final four in the Western Conference, and every one of them has got a stud, young, uh, offensive, puck-moving, good-skating defenseman.
0: And Evan Bouchard isn't that player. Like he's he's a really he's interesting player. player. He's
1: part of it. and player. could be he, the, he could be a very good skater. offensive
0: defenseman, but he's not that skater. Like that's not his. It's his game is thinking, passing. He's the Larry Murphy. He's from the Larry Murphy, Al McKinnis, you know, Dave Babbage school somewhere in there of like offensive defenseman. Really, you know, like not the is. most mobile guy, but really, really good on the attack. So, but Broberg might be, and Caleb Jones. He's not going to be at that elite level, but Caleb Jones is also in that from that school of fast, good defensemen. So I could see Ken Holland wanting Caleb Jones in the lineup, and maybe Broberg, Bruce. If Broberg has a good start to the season in Sweden, um, they're going to start playing. They're playing now. And if he if he gets a lot of ice time in Sweden in the first half of the year before the NHL season starts, who knows? Maybe he he makes a sudden move on the Oilers as well. I doubt that. I think he'll probably. I doubt it. I think it'll be a year. But man, he really made a huge impression. And speaking of impressions in Europe, Bruce uh, Jesse Puliyarvi has played, I think, uh, four, five, or six exhibition games, and he's put up eight thousand points in those five games. So I don't know if you saw the highlight. Everyone saw the highlight reel. Everyone saw that little clip. Uh, I think it was in a three-on-three game. No, no the whole Pugliarby. tournament was
1: the whole tournament was three-on-three, three, which explains the the five-point games and stuff. Like it's you know, yeah, it's not normal. Puliyarvi
0: taking the puck and shredding the uh, the three-man opposing defense who 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 just were completely missing an action but man Bruce there it just it was so tantalizing because that's the that was the pulley Arvey video we hadn't seen since he was drafted you know that kind of dominance but he has been uh, dominant in preseason uh, uh, finish league games I don't know how much that's worth but um, it's it's interesting Uh I wonder if he'll be part of the Oilers' future or not. It's. I think he's either going to be moved or he's going to sign, and one thing's going to happen in the next month or two, so we'll see. That was really – as much as I thought, don't put any weight in that, I couldn't mm-hmm. help but get excited about it. A little
1: context to that clip provided by uh, Mary Longberg, who's a, uh, a, an astute watcher of uh, the game generally in, in Europe, and especially of uh, of uh, Yassipouli Arvi, <clears throat> And she watched that game, and she said – Thing about that play was that the puck had been down in that end for uh, better part of a two-minute shift, and all six guys, skaters on the ice, were gassed. And the, the puck came outside the blue line, and and uh, Harvey corralled it, and somehow he found an ex some gas in the tank, and he booted it up the middle, and no one could could begin to close the gap, and he just went through them like they were, you know. Uh, uh like he was playing Tom Thumb hockey, it looked like. Uh, so yes, the opposition looked brutal on that play, but there was a reason they looked brutal and, and Paularve himself should have looked brutal for the same reason and he didn't. He had the extra juice in the tank to uh, see his opportunity seize it and just make a power move and then a great deke and deposit. you know I mean that was a, that was a, a big league finish on that play for sure.
0: 'd love, love to see him back in Edmonton I'd love to see him get a chance with Connor mcdavid honestly would I'd love to see mm-hmm. that happen again because I think that that uh Pugliarvi might be able to, to get that done so that's that's my my uh, hot take of the uh my hot and happy take of the day optimistic take mm-hmm. optimistic Oilers take of the day Bruce why don't we leave it there?
1: yeah I have a little note of optimism it's nice to have one of those so it's a podcast or so.
0: thanks for talking
1: yeah thanks for uh thanks for listening everyone and uh we'll do the next one a little sooner than we did this one
0: and in the meantime and in between times this has been another edition of the cult of hockey podcast